0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we do our weekly political roundup with Dr. Laurie Turnbull, the Director of School of Public Administration with Dalhousie University. The mask mandate ends in Ontario today. Are you ready to remove the mask and continue to wear yours? And U.S. President Biden and other world leaders head to Europe this week to display Western unity. But aside from the dramatic wartime show of resolve, will this trip actually shed any light on the strategies going forward? It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast and starts now today on the bill kelly show on 900 chml weekly look at what's going on with national politics uh, lots to talk about here because a lot of people are weighing in about uh, canada's role in ukraine situation and a couple of other things that we want to touch on as well and uh, to that end so pleased to welcome back to the program dr laurie turnbull dr turnbull of course is the director of the school of public administration with dalhousie university uh, laurie great to have you back on the program hope you're doing well these days
1: hey Bill. it's great to be here and yeah i'm doing well it's sunny today i'm excited
0: yeah for a change yeah well we're into springtime right so uh, it, all, all is good from here on in listen i want to start off if i could uh, with the the comments from uh, alan rock who is a former uh, canadian ambassador to the united nations because he was a cabinet minister in the crutchin governments you know he of the long gun registry but i don't want to get into that now uh, but he made some interesting comments over the weekend uh, about uh, canada's role and especially the un's role in this uh, and saying that Canada should be more forceful. Uh, he also says that uh, we should be on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, kind of a strange comment from a former ambassador, uh, despite the fact that most people in NATO, including most of the leaders, are saying that's a, a non-starter.
1: Yeah, you know, for for the reasons that le- they've outlined, you know, specifically that any uh, boots on the ground in Ukraine from the NATO side we, you know whether this is under the auspices of nato or under the auspices of the un would be perceived by russia as an act of war and that would be re- would trigger a retaliation and so from like i don't see how that could happen and i mean i i i read his comments as well and and there, you know there's this sense of is there a peacekeeping role for the un i this is an active war situation you know there's there is absolutely no peace to keep there and so i don't I don't see that happening i mean i can certainly understand the the frustration and the sense that uh if if nato is not um you know like kind of getting involved to the point that they're in ukrainian airspace and they're doing things that are going to really push back russia but again you know you because they don't want to trigger this this retaliatory response from russia i mean is there another way? So I can understand why someone might look around and think, is there something the UN could be doing? But in this case, I just don't see it.
0: But his comments about the UN, and here's somebody who spent some time there, of course, as Canada's ambassador, and saying that, you know, if, if the Security Council is not going to do anything, and they aren't, that the General Assembly should step up and, and be more proactive on this. They've been saying that since 1948, haven't they?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, and the, and yes, I mean, the, the, the governance structure in the UN, it's like they're trying to provide... A possibility for the General Assembly to be able to take action if there's a, on the Security Council, there's a veto that's jamming any kind of reaction. And so if the Security Council is not the right vehicle, you can do something else. But again, none of that changes the facts on the ground of this particular case. And none of it changes the fact that Russia is, you know, like has, has been pretty clear that, that if there's any sort of interve- intervention on that line, that they will take that as an act of war. And President Biden has also said, we are going to support Ukraine. We are going to send And, you know, we're going to send help, we're going to send support, we're going to help to fortify, we're going to be there, but we're not going to be there on the ground, you know, like we're not going to actually set foot, you know, because for all all of those reasons about trying to make sure that the situation doesn't get worse.
0: Well, and the other element to this, too, is, as you say, the very structure of the United Nations. And you're right. I mean, the, the veto that China has and the veto that Russia has pretty much kills anything happening on Security Council. But the General Assembly, I guess what we need to talk about, and I'm sure Alan Rock is aware of this, and I don't know why he didn't you know, put this into the conversation. Uh, the other nations, uh, there's a, uh, the Chinese and the Russians hold a lot of sway over a lot of these smaller nations uh, because of economic interests, uh, because of energy interests, things of this nature. There's nobody going to stand up and, and shake their fist at these guys in a situation like that because they'd be afraid of repercussions.
1: That's it. Yeah. And I mean the like the UN has been obviously criticized a lot over the years for for these sorts of situations ending in a stalemate where you can't do anything right because certain partners certain member states and the five permanent members of the security council don't agree on everything and again it's it's like you can't take all of the geopolitical realities and then filter them through an international organization that that you know doesn't necessarily respond to what's going on in any given day or at any given time. And as you say, UN can do what, you know, they can have whatever regulations and governance structure you want. Countries are not going to put themselves at risk by doing things to invite retaliation and, and some sort of punishment from somebody like China or somebody like Russia. Like, it's just not going to happen that way. And so it doesn't change the, the geopolitical power structure. And so I think a, a lot of eyes at this point are on what China is going to do if anything. And is there anything that's going to come out of this meeting in Brussels this week that's going to set a different tone? Because now we're on, what, day 25, day 26? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's absolutely horrific.
0: Nice segue. Uh, Let's go into Brussels. Uh, Later on this week, as we mentioned, the NATO leaders are all going to be meeting in person, face-to-face, for the first time in a long time, I guess. And it's going to be about developing strategies for Ukraine. Uh, What can they say, what can they offer that they haven't already offered?
1: I mean, I think there's going to be some conversation around, um, every NATO partner pitching in and we've heard already, you know, there's been pressure on Canada to, to say, Hey, like, you know, we, we know you guys are going to be there. We appreciate what you've done. What else are you going to do? When are you going to hit that 2% in terms of GDP spending on, on defense spending? And so uh, Anita Ananda said, she's got some options to bring to cabinet. And so some of that is, is involving, I think probably <clears throat> a continuation of some kind of status quo. And then there are some things that would be more like kind of rolling the dice a bit more spending quite a bit more, get like, Put, getting what we have been told you know like it is hitting that 2% mark and so i think that's going to be part of it to see whether any more contributions from nato partners would would yield any different options but it doesn't mean that you know even if if partners including canada were to all meet that 2% target that doesn't mean that we're going to get global peace out of it you know more more nato contributions might not produce more peace so i think there's going to be a lot of question marks and a lot of OK, you know, now we're at a different stage of this where there's, you know, Ukraine is absolutely, you know, resistant and holding their ground and not laying down arms. They are not, you know, they're, they're not giving up anything. What are the options? You know, is there more economic sanctions? Is there are, are we getting anywhere in terms of taller or sorry, targeting those oligarchs around Putin? Is that having any pressure on him? Like, you know, some kind of take stock effort around is what we've been doing having any kind of effect?
0: But I, I'm getting the sense that the, the discussion, at least here in Canada anyway, is starting to center more on, on military support uh, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the sanctions, et cetera, et cetera. You know, former chief of defense uh, Rick Hillier weighed in on this over the weekend and said, you know, we've got to do more. I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly, you know, with the people that offer these criticisms, Candace Bergen was saying the same sort of thing, that they shouldn't take the, uh, the no-fly zone off the table uh, as of yet but they're not offering alternatives i mean i we've been told for years now haven't we that canada's military hardware is is sadly out of date Uh, we don't have state-of-the-art equipment like the u.s does and some of the other nations do is there a role for us to play here really
1: i mean like it i think we've heard anita Anon say like what what we've got you know kind of in stock that we can offer we've depleted that we've got a federal budget coming up um is is it possible that we could? Play more of a role in terms of providing more resources. Could we ramp up that spending right now? Is that something we could do? You know, possibly. But for Canada's role, I mean, like it, as as we've seen in comments from Minister Jolie, if that that were very interesting. And to see a bit of a of space between, I think Minister Anand and Minister Jolie, her comments around Canada not being a military power and us being a convener. Well. I would think that would be pretty difficult to hear if you were a member of Canada's armed forces, and I think there's a you know history to suggest that you know yes we're a military power we're not in a lead position, but what is you know what is a range of of activity that could have impact from a country like Canada, and so I mean as far like the economic sanctions like we've done that we've ramped that up we've even last week like when when President Zelensky addressed Parliament that day we announced more economic sanctions and so we're doing that. But if she says that Canada is a convener, is there something to convene here? Like, is there is there a a place for the Prime Minister to play a leadership role in those conversations in Brussels? And what would that look like? I mean, I think Canada clearly has a role in terms of helping displaced Ukrainians find a safe home. We absolutely have a leadership role in that, but that's not getting you know like that. That's mitigating um, a very a very serious displacement crisis in pressure to on To that Russia. point,
0: I, I want to go back to the immigration thing in just a second, because that is an important part. But the, the fact that, as you mentioned, there seems to be a disconnect between well, who, what turned out to be two of the lead ministers in this, uh, Minister uh, Jolie and Minister Anand in situations like this. The, yeah, the convener thing bugged me. And I know that's one of these things I think is going to come back and, and, and haunt the minister at some point in the future. I, I know Canada supposedly has a reputation as a world peacekeeper. You know, Lester Pearson won a Nobel Peace Prize. And, you know, we, like many others, had the blue helmets on in Cyprus and places like that. But that's an apples and oranges comparison of what's going on in Ukraine now, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, like, on, I'm sure that if if there's a disconnect between the ministers that they're going to sort that out. And it's possible that, you know, when when Minister Jolie is talking about this convener role for Canada, you know, may, it, it might not have been that she meant to imply that we're really not a military power, right? Like, maybe she would, I, I don't know, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but there seemed to be a bit of a disconnect between her saying, no, no, this is the role for Canada, we're a convener, and Anand saying, I've got a plan for more military spending if I can convince the cabinet to do it. And so I think, and and as you say, right, this is a very different situation. And I don't know necessarily that, um, I I think, like, it doesn't necessarily change, the again, the facts on the ground in terms of what Canada can do and how much money we're going to put up and things like that. And what President Biden does, what Secretary Blinken does, is going to, you know, that's going to be a really important part of this. The conversation in Brussels, I think, will be very much circled around what the U.S. is is perhaps willing to do. The, and as you say, like people who are saying we should do more, what do they have in, like, what Candace Bergen, what do you have in mind, right? Like the idea that there's going to be a, a kind of partial no-fly zone that might be able to create a humanitarian corridor, like, I don't know how that works in practice. So... You know, it, it sort of it, it has this sense of being backed into a okay. If we're not going to ramp up the military response, then what else?
0: Well, exactly. But back to your point about immigration, that's an interesting aspect of this. Uh, we do have a, a global reputation for for coming to the aid of refugees. It's happened uh, so many other times, uh, and and we've been praised for that, and I think rightly so. Is that the role that Canada should play? And I'm not suggesting they they simply abandon the the, the military request, and because that has to be considered. Uh, but can we step up and simply say we have safe haven for these people? You know, let's go. Let's do that. Because we're good at that.
1: We're very good at that. And we also have, you know, a significant Ukrainian population here in Canada that would provide, you know, a, a very warm welcome. Right. Like it would be, a, a, I don't know, it's never easy. It's never easy to to step up and, and assist and play a lead role in something like this because there's all kinds of complicating factors. But There's every reason, you know, that the government can provide, you know, support in this regard. There's, There's every, you know, there's every reason that we can think about how to do this in a way that can help in a very expeditious way to relocate people who need to be located in a safe place and to provide again like a very welcoming and supportive environment to do that I think Canada absolutely has a lead role to play in that it's something that we've got experience with and it's something that we can do here again that doesn't mean that we don't also have roles to play in putting that pressure on Russia but I think that there's there's a clear role for Canada to step up to be able to to help to manage that the refugee crisis the immigration crisis.
0: Got about a minute left. I want to just jump into something else here, too, because I want to give our listeners some context in this. Uh, We all know that, you know, the rising oil prices are driving everybody nuts and the the price of the pump is ridiculous. Uh, And, you know, our, our politicians are saying, oh, yes, we feel your pain the story behind the story here is they make a lot of money off this and and there's a story now that of course the liberals are going to be rife with cash right now because you know they made their deficit projections and their budget projections they didn't know this money was going to flow in because the the federal and provincial tax on what we pay for gas is a percentage of that price so as that price goes up so does their uh, their the money that comes flows into ottawa so we're going to hear probably from just about every Uh, provincial uh, finance minister and certainly the federal finance minister and not too distant future saying, you know, we managed our our things so well, we've got more money for you. Uh, Where are they going to put that? Do they put it into defense spending as, as minister Anand talked about, are there other programs they should be prioritizing?
1: Well, that's it. Right. And we've got, you know, I think it's going to become Really, really difficult. I think we, you know, we, we might be in a stage where it's going to be really difficult for us to really predict with any kind of certainty, what sort of things are coming ahead in a budget, right? Like I when we think about what the federal government did over the course of COVID spending, you know, and spending and spending, and, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, Hey, look, like we spent a lot of money. Um, and giving a sense of the, there's no predictability, you know, they didn't actually bring down a budget for a long time saying there's no way they could predict it. It's going to be hard to predict budgets, I think, for for a while. And Heather Schofield had a great piece in the Toronto Star about that this past weekend. I think... Um, There's lots of places they could put this again, like they could put it into the defense spending. I'm sure the premiers are pretty hungry. Doug Ford's about to go to election. He's still got to sign that childcare package. Like there's lots of places to plug this in. Plus the government is trying to respond to an inflation crisis. That's deterring, you know, flushing a bunch of money into the system. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do.
0: Exactly. Well, they're probably talking about that behind closed doors in Ottawa right now. Uh, Dr. Laurie Turnbull, Laurie, thank you as always for this. Great talking with you. Stay well, and we'll talk again in a few days.
1: Sounds great, Bill. Take care. You're listening
0: to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900
2: CHML.
0: Well, today's another landmark day in the uh, recovery of uh, COVID-19, although some people would suggest that uh, the recovery might be a little premature. But as of today, masks are no longer required in many settings here in Ontario, including restaurants and gyms and theaters. And most students who are going back into the classroom today after March break uh, are not going to have to wear masks, although that's different uh, with the Hamilton Public Board. Global State Woodard has details for us.
3: Some of these school boards, they think they're medical experts. Premier Doug Ford says groups like the Hamilton Public School Board should listen to Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health and allow children to go back to class without the facial masks they've worn for nearly two years now. But Annie Kidder, the executive director of the group People for Education, says there's no reason to change it just yet. Kids
1: have gotten used to them. It's like you have to wear shoes and you have to wear a mask.
4: Ford,
3: however, believes that just because the mask mandate is being lifted, it doesn't mean everyone would Will ditch them. If the
1: kids want to keep their mask on, God bless them. Keep your mask on. No problem.
3: The Hamilton Public School Board says it will keep the mandate until April 1st, even though neither the province or the city have issued exemptions from the new rules. Dave Woodard, Global News.
0: So, Where do you stand on this? It's an important question. I mean, we've heard from the premier certainly, and Dr. Kieran Moore, the chief medical officer here in Ontario, that last week when they started talking about this, well, it was before March break, of course, uh, that the initial announcement came out. I want to get your thoughts on this. So we're going to do open phones right now. I want to open the lines up and get your thoughts on essentially the mask mandate ending today. Will you keep wearing the mask? And if so, why? And do you agree with lifting the mask mandate today? You heard on our program a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Peter Uni, who's the now outgoing uh, chair of the Ontario Science Table. He's leaving, going to the UK. But he said it's premature. And he said he didn't. And he was quite clear. He said, look, I'm not saying don't do this. He said, just don't do it for another couple of weeks until we get more data, because there are some things that are brewing, some storm clouds on the horizon, so to speak. But I want to get your thoughts. We've heard from Dr. uni We've heard from the premier. I want to hear from you now. Here's how you can reach us. 905-645-3221. 905-645-3221. If you're on a cell phone, toll-free for you at star 9900, and you can reach us long distance. That's also a toll-free number at 1-800-263-2428. 1-800-263-2428. The mandate is over in Ontario. Will you keep wearing a mask? And if so, why? Your thoughts on the Bill Kelly Show. And I want to open the lines up right now for your calls, or your emails certainly as well. Uh, to get some perspective on this, uh, because there's a great deal of of consternation in some people's minds right now that this is premature, and and there's some validity to to their their concerns here. We've already heard even from Doctor Moore when he made the announcement about the mandate being lifted as of today, uh, that he's concerned that there could be another spike is is in the springtime because of what's going on. There's another variant out there right now that is going to be the dominant variant here in Ontario, uh, and Doctor Moore said and this is part of the, what his dissertation was that didn't get a whole lot of play. He said, be prepared for us to reintroduce the mask mandate and maybe even some of the restrictions that we had in place before, vis-a-vis you know, the capacities in restaurants and things of that nature. So that indicates that we're not out of the woods yet. So some folks are just saying, well, then why why lift the mask mandate? What are your thoughts on this? Have you, have you tossed it away today and said, that's it? We're not going back? I'm glad we got rid of these things. Or are you concerned about this have we done this too early will you keep wearing a mask and why 905-645-3221 start 9900 on your cell and the long distance number of course 1-800-263-2428 right to the phones and emails i want to find out how you're feeling about this on the uh, the bill kelly show ryan your first up good morning ryan how are you today good morning
2: yeah, I'm going to still wear my mask, 100%. Um, main reason is is my spouse has an autoimmune disease, um, so I can't really be bringing COVID home because it, it could put her out uh, quite a bit. But um, I've been discussions at home with my wife about it, why mask or no mask. And a lot of people say it's political. Um, but if it is political, 90% were vaccinated. That means 90% will, don't probably mind wearing their masks so he's depending on the votes of 10 percent of the people so we're bending over backwards for 10 percent of the population which i just can't wrap my head around
0: and and that's what i've heard from a lot of people and, and i'm not just going to quote dr uni here uh, dr isaac Vogosh, who's been on the show many times told us the same thing at some point yeah it'll be great but she says you know we're not at the warmer weather today not yet anyway just because it's the first day of spring and he's concerned that this is going to cause a spike. And and how do you think people are going to feel, Ryan, that, you know, if, if three weeks from now they said, hey, you know what, we're going to have to institute the mask mandate again. They're well, going to be pretty ticked off.
2: What do I think's going to happen is right now they're all patting Doug Ford on the back. Oh, great. No mask. No mask. But, you know, it's going to be short-lived because if they end up having a spike, they're just going to blame him again anyways. They're going to say, oh, it's your fault. You pulled it off too soon. They aren't going to remember what they said two weeks ago when they threw their mask in the garbage.
0: Exactly. Ryan, thanks so much for the call. Glad that you uh, could jump in here and uh, and start things off for us today. Uh, that opens up another line for your call, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Are you going to continue to wear your mask, or have you tossed it away? Uh, Dave, you're next on The Bill Kelly Show. Welcome to the program, Dave.
5: Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call.
0: Good. Well, glad you could call in today. What are you going to do? Have you got the mask still, or have you tossed it away?
5: Uh, hopefully it's gone for good. Yeah, no, I'm not. Hope, uh, hopefully, hopefully that's, looking, the operative looking, word is hopefully. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward not to wearing it.
0: So you're not going to wear it at all when you go into public today or and here on in?
5: No, not at all, no. Nope.
0: So you feel confident that, that, that it's going to be safe for everybody?
5: Absolutely. I mean, most of the masks um, that people wear are highly ineffective anyway. It's like trying to stop a mosquito going through a chain-link fence. You think you're doing much for, for these fi- fine aerosol yeah, absolutely. All, I think the majority of science that really looks at the effectiveness of masks, it shows minimal, if any, effectiveness to reduce the spread in transmission. So, yeah, I think it's time for them to go.
0: Well, I, I don't know where you're getting your sources, because the experts I'm talking to tell me just the opposite. But And they say that's one of the reasons why we're being you know, able to lift some of the other restrictions right now is because we have been able to mitigate the impact. Thanks for the call. i got a ton of people that want to get on here. Let me go to uh, have, have Frank. A great day. Frank. You too. Thanks a lot. Frank, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show.
4: Hi. Hi, Bill. I'm going to continue to wear it twofold for my own sake. And also, most importantly, if I have, I've had the uh, all three vaccines, but there have been cases, and you know about them, that people that have got the vaccines do and have been carrying the, the virus. So I'm not. I'm going to try not to be selfish here and be in a, in a case where I may be carrying it and passing it on to somebody else and not realizing it. The other side of it is I want to make sure after this no mask mandate goes on for a little while here as to how the numbers change. If all of a sudden the numbers start to rise because the virus is getting its way through, then I'm going to be feeling that I did the right thing by not going and jumping in on it right away. The reason being in the final summary is that we really don't know whether this virus has been knocked out or not.
0: Well, I I think the evidence indicates it hasn't has not been knocked out.
4: No, no. Uh, so you even, know, when
0: when Doctor Murium himself says there's probably going to be another spike, it probably won't be as serious. But they said that about Omicron too, and look what happened.
4: Well, if somebody said that I can, I'm going to get the flu tomorrow, even though I I got the flu vaccine, I would question whether or not that vaccine was good enough, <laughs> just to be to tell you the truth. So no, I'm going to. it's, been, it's not a big deal wearing the mask really. It's. Uh, you know uh, the good reason to do it, and um, like I said, until there's some concrete information provided that we are now well protected, and I don't and ninety percent still means ten percent not, so again, and I think we can be assured, and I don't even know if we're going to get there the way this world's going because it is the world, it's not just here. Uh, so I'm going to just try to stay protected. It doesn't bother me to wear the mask. It, it it's a little bit awkward, and when it's cold, it clouds up my glasses. But big deal, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, um, I take aspirin when I got a headache. I do anything else I have to do to alleviate problems. I'm going to carry on wearing my mask until I think that everybody sees, uh, likewise, uh, free of, of 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 getting the virus uh, by being vaccinated. Vaccinated only. I'm upset, Frank, but,
0: appreciate but, the but, call. But, Thanks so much. Stay good. well, All and uh, you appreciate too. you joining Thanks. us today. Bill Kelly Show, are you going to continue to wear the mask? The mandate is over as of today. Not exclusively, by the way. As we mentioned, there are some exceptions. Uh, uh, you know, healthcare facilities, hospitals, things of that nature. And what the premier also said is that these individual businesses, uh, movie theaters, uh, stores, restaurants, whatever the case might be, have the option. If they want to enforce the mask mandate, they can do that. They can say, I'm sorry, you can't come in unless you do that. Now, I don't know who's going to do that and who's not. I guess you'll find out as you start knocking on doors and see just where this is going. Uh, But I want to get your thoughts on this right now. Will you keep wearing your mask even though the mandate has been lifted today? Christina, you're on the Bill Kelly Show. Thanks for joining us, Christina.
4: Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm well, thanks. What about you? you, Have you ditched the mask or are you going to continue to wear it?
4: Oh, no, I'm going to continue wearing it for a long time. I'm not uh, going anywhere without my mask. I know my niece was shopping yesterday, and she said that in the grocery store, more than half the people didn't have masks on. She was very uncomfortable, but I am wearing it. Look at China. Their counts are going up and other places, but I don't agree. I'm wearing a mask.
0: And you're going to continue to do so simply because you're you're concerned about another another spike and the impact it might have
4: because of that and i have a lot of friends i have friends who have cancer and um have immune systems that can be compromised and i wouldn't dare take that chance
0: yeah and, and that's a good point thanks so much for the call christine uh, have a great day uh, there are so many people that are in that category, and, and you've heard it from a couple of our callers already. Uh, a friend, a relative, uh, a loved one who may have a, an autoimmune disease uh, that could have a pre-existing condition. We're told that people that have cardiac issues are more prone to this and that they could be adversely affected by this. People that have respiratory problems uh, could be adversely affected by this. Uh, cancer patients who are, you know, dealing with cancer right now. And so many other areas of this. And there's no big sign that says, hey, I'm a cancer patient or that, hey, I have an autoimmune disease. I mean, you don't know that that person beside you in the lineup at the grocery store has an autoimmune disease that could be more prone to that. You just don't know. And that, that's a concern. And I'm, I, it's interesting to see how many people are being guarded in their optimism about this, that maybe this is not going to be the right time. And, and as I say, I go back to my original point. It's a political gamble by the government, by the Ford government right now to say, OK, I, I think we're going to get some public support for this. And I'm sure he will. But if he has to come back in a month or so and say, hey, you got to start wearing masks again. How's that going to go over? I mean, does that mean that uh, that all of a sudden the gamble has failed? 905 645 nine nine let us get Mike on the program. Mike, welcome to the program. What are you going to do with the mask?
6: Well, Bill, I'm uh, definitely not going to be wearing the mask. I think it's long overdue. I mean, uh, a few callers ago when you said all the experts are saying that the mask does work. I didn't say um, all
0: the experts. I said many of the experts.
6: Uh, sorry, sorry, the experts that you've been talking to. Now, the, one of the experts, one of the main institutions that's been putting out most of the information that the uh, U.S. and we've been following as well John Hopkins, they put out uh, a lot of information before that masks are basically useless. They Like like uh, the caller said there when you were talking to him. it is like uh, trying to stop mosquitoes from going through a chain-link fence. And if you don't have impeccable hand hygiene, you're contaminating the mask constantly. And as far as for uh, people with autoimmune problems or have loved ones that have autoimmune problems, they should be wearing an N95 mask specifically just because the, the surgical masks don't protect yourself. They protect other people. But if, if you go out to a grocery store, just just... Take a look at other people. Take a look at people talking. How constantly they are touching their mask, constantly contaminating them. And that's what we've been told for a hundred plus years. Healthy people do not wear masks because they're way too easy to contaminate. Doctor Fauci, Dr. Tam, they all said this before this pandemic started, or right at the beginning of it, and then all of a sudden that tune changed. Now so, so my yeah, point is Yeah, but wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. The tune changed because we found out more about it. At first, remember, we were washing our hands. We were wearing gloves a lot of the time because we were told it could be on the gas pump. That, you know, the guy before that got the his fomites, gas. Yes, my. Now There's we know that's fomites, not true. It's it's airborne. It's not on your it's hands. not airborne. Itself.
6: There's only three viruses on the planet that are airborne that we know of. It's
3: in aerosol. Well, excuse, so me, excuse me, excuse slightly... me. I'm, I'm basing my, I I'm basing what I'm saying forest forest right now. Listen ignorant. to me.
0: I listen to you. Now listen to me all right yeah
3: you can believe
0: who you want to believe and you know what you can go on the internet right now and you can find 15 websites that are going to substantiate what you're saying but we are listening to the medical experts the the science table we're listening to dr tam on a federal basis we're listening to these experts that are saying this is what we should be doing and and you're always going to find contrary opinions it was some whack doctor down in the states that told you know donald trump that yeah you can you can drink bleach or this there's always going to be some weird opinions on this but if you want to put your your good health at risk as a result of this and maybe put the health of others at risk as a result of this then i, I think it's irresponsible and i just i i'm concerned right now that what's going to happen here is there's going to be a pullback on this because we already know there's going to be a spike. We already know that there's a pushback on this. And we already know that we don't know for sure that this thing is gone. You know, it's going to be with us. We're told we have to live with it
1: you yeah, know yeah. you ready
0: to live with the fact that they may have to backtrack on this i think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves what? appreciate the you call know, though I, I, contrary opinion i get that but i got a lot of people that want to jump in here and i've only got a couple of minutes left in this segment uh fred you're going to be next on the bill kelly show go ahead
4: yeah how you doing i'm, I'm well much. okay I'm, we're all living in a bubble I, uh, I'm going to continue wearing my mask because a lot of people haven't got the virus shot and I don't know who has it and who hasn't. So I'm going to wear the mask just to be safe.
0: Appreciate the call, Fred. Thanks so much. I, yeah, one of my friends just uh, emailed me earlier this morning and said, you know, I, I live in a condo uh, and has a number of respiratory issues. And they said, you know, you get out of an elevator with somebody who's not wearing a mask, you don't know whether or not they you know that they, they could be carrying it. You don't know whether or not they're even vaccinated. So they feel as if they're at risk right now. And that's that's a pretty frightening thing to know that uh, that it's out there and that you could be prone to something like this, which is one of the reasons they told us to wear the mask in the first place. Sophie, you're on the Bill Kelly show. Hi, Sophie.
4: I'm going to keep wearing my masks. I don't really understand the reasoning uh, behind the mask removal at this time. Um, it doesn't really make sense to me. I think it's a political ploy. And I don't. One thing I don't understand is not the previous caller, but the one before, where they get their information from. Because every single thing that I have heard, they, I've read studies about masks. They really, really help stop the transmission of this virus, and it is airborne. That's all. Of course, I to it's sorry. airborne.
0: Uh, no thank you so much sophia and you know let's go with the consensus of the experts here that's what the science table was even formed for in the first place was to gather the experts okay the the people that have been studying diseases studying epidemiology studying viruses all of their lives all of their careers dedicated their their selves to this and they're the ones that are saying you know what this is what you need to do and you know, to hear from Dr. Uni and Dr. Bogosh and others who we've been listening to for the last two years now and trying to keep this thing under control, for them to say it's not the right time. I, that's why I was so shocked that Dr. Moore actually decided to go along with this. And it, in many people's minds, substantiate what we've always been concerned about here is that a lot of the advice that we know is maybe going to be unpopular, like wearing masks and and you know, capacity limits in restaurants and things of this nature, it's bad politically. You know, when we were at the worst there, when the shutdown was taking place, Premier Ford has the worst public opinion ratings of any premier in the country. And he's got an election coming up in June. And, you know, if you don't think that that wasn't a factor in saying, well, no, we're going to go ahead with this anyway, you're politically naive. I mean, that's just the way things are. And that's not just a knock against Ford. It's a knock against a lot of public officials that think that, you know, the number one priority here is I want to keep this job. And if there's another spike, okay, well, we'll deal with that at the time. But that's hoping, hoping that it doesn't happen. You know, you can you can smoke five packs of cigarettes a day and hope that you won't get lung cancer, but you're certainly increasing the risk of it happening. And if you don't wear the mask and if you don't follow the COVID protocols, even though it's still out there, you're hoping, you're not doing. And that's hardly the, the strategy that we should be employing here. You're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml want to continue our discussions about what's going to be happening with ukraine we know that uh, later on this week nato members are going to be meeting in person face to face for the first time in a long time and uh, the speculation here is uh, about developing strategies and and just what kind of a message they're trying to send to vladimir putin uh, by doing this Uh, joining us to talk about this and related issues uh pleased to welcome back to the program reggie cicchini washington correspondent uh, for global news uh, reggie thank you so much for the time good to have you with us this morning good morning let me ask you one of the stories that we saw on the the sunday morning shows and the announcement from the president uh was about patriot air defense systems they're going to be moving into slovakia uh, as russia continues their assault of course on ukraine there have been a lot of uh, of military moves around ukraine reggie which isn't doing a whole lot for the Ukrainian people that are fighting for their country right now. But is this more of a show of, of NATO strength and, and Western solidarity than it is to, to provide help for Ukraine?
3: I mean, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, we've heard, uh, you know, repeatedly from the United States uh, that they will be doing everything they can to shore up uh, the defense mechanisms, the defense systems that are in place uh, across eastern parts Uh, of Europe and through the eastern flank uh, along NATO's uh, borders uh, and also at the same time that they're doing what they can to ensure the uh, the safety uh, inside uh, Ukraine Uh, and I think seeing this kind of system uh, put in place in Slovakia which neighbors Ukraine is just that, um, you know, kind of doubling down on that effort that we've seen from the White House or heard from the President over the last several weeks that they will do everything they can to protect their allies uh, whether they're in NATO or whether they are Ukraine, a country dying to get into into nato
0: so, but it is this I, I, again this this whole thing about nato and, and we all know the the no-fly zone crisis and, and you know once again uh Zelensky is asking for that uh is the move they're doing right now with the troop movements and moving the, the air defense systems in place right now which by the way ukraine would love to have uh, it seems to me as this is more to trying to defend the NATO countries. And, and it, it's really kind of, I guess, you know, underscoring the old idea that, you know, if you're not in NATO, uh, we're just not going to help you. I mean, we're with you. Uh, we're going to give you all the moral support and all the aid that we can and get whatever we can over there. Uh, but there's, there's going to be no boots on the ground. And, and, and I guess that's probably going to be one of the messages we're going to hear from Brussels.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's a message, you know, not only that we're going to hear from Brussels, but it's a message that has been really echoed. For the last several weeks, whether it is from President Biden or whether it's from the NATO Secretary General, that the group, the bloc, is there to protect each other, is there to provide uh, kind of a-, a wall against any kind of aggression that comes out of Russia. Uh, but they are not going to put uh, any of their troops. They are not going to put their own national interests uh, in jeopardy by getting involved in a conflict uh, with a country that is not a part of their alliance. And when you see the United States or when you see comments from NATO. Uh, about uh, this, uh, when you see, uh, rather, sorry about that, when you see uh, comments coming from NATO uh, that they are going to uh, be, you know, complementing, not replacing uh, Soviet systems in Slovakia in order to provide, um, you know, more lift and, and uh, and more protection, this is simply what they are doubling down on. Again, they are there to protect each other. They are there to offer the assistance to those who need it, but they are not going to put themselves in jeopardy.
0: Reggie, I know you watched uh, Zelensky's address to the uh, to the U.S. Congress last week, very emotional. And, and again, as he has done with other uh, addresses to the U.K. Parliament, to the Canadian Parliament, etc., uh, and even to the EU Parliament, he tailored the message to to the audience, uh, and and it was a very uh, American uh, message, uh, using American analogies, drawing on the nine eleven crisis, and saying, you know, when you the world you needed the world, we were there for you. Now we need you. These sorts of things. Did, did that resonate at all uh, on the Hill? Did, did it sway people's minds to say maybe we should be doing more
3: militarily? I mean, look, you know, whether you want to call it an ode to freedom or an attempt to to reach out across, you know, a very divided political aisle. Uh, uh... in dc i think uh... you know it, it did resonate with the fact that there are uh... there is is a growing concern there is um, you know a, a growing fear about what could happen to uh... ukraine what could happen to democracy uh, or what could happen uh to, to any of america's interests that are uh... overseas uh... and you are seeing a growing number of people across this country uh... stand behind president biden they will still come out with their criticisms to say that this sh- you know a- any actions should have been taken uh, earlier that uh, that President Biden may, might have moved too slow when it came uh, to sanctions but when you hear these kind of impassioned speeches from President Zelensky whether it's to the US Congress or whether it's to Canada or whether it's to any other um, uh, 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 parliament or legislative assembly that is, is listening to him uh, there is a there is a growing understanding that something needs to be done but there are also going to be political and economic uh, walls that stand in the way to what countries are actually able to do because at the end of the day nobody wants to see ukraine sink into a pit that it can't dig itself out of but each country has their own interests at hand as well and they don't want to do something that's going to potentially put their own country uh in harm's way so sure he spoke to americans he really touched the heart uh, of american politicians but they ultimately have to do what's best for them
0: uh senator dick durbin was on uh, meet the press uh with chuck todd on sunday uh, suggesting that there may be a way, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, that we can still get some sense of a no-fly zone there with uh, some stuff that would still be, quote-unquote, legal. Uh, I, 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 and, of course, he wasn't very specific on any details. It, are those discussions going on? I mean, it got, just because of, of the contacts you've got in Washington right now, because nobody's stating anything publicly right now except for the fact that, no, we can't do this. But it seems from what the Senator Durbin was saying that, well, yeah, there is a way. We just haven't really uh, come to any consensus on it yet.
3: I mean, you know, it's hard to read into what uh, what a congressperson uh, is trying to say or what a senator uh, is trying to say, especially when uh, they're on you know high-ranking uh, intelligence uh, or military-based committees. You know, they may have these conversations; they may have something up their sleeve uh, that they're simply not going to put into the public realm. But at the same time, uh, there are also things that that the United States can do. Uh, you know, by providing things like more surface-to-air missiles that don't have to be launched from within Ukraine or can be launched by uh, Ukrainians. Uh, you know, and It's a way to protect the airspace without having to put a no-fly zone uh, in place. Uh, And and look, there have been repeated calls from President Zelensky, from some members uh, of Congress in the United States, saying we need to do something to protect the airspace. But at the end of the day, that goes back to this whole conversation uh, about NATO not wanting to cross any kind of escalatory red line, and a no-fly zone would ultimately lead to potentially, a NATO country having to shoot down uh, a Russian plane, uh, and that could ultimately lead to, uh, you know, an escalation, this World War III that we've heard a number of people talk about. So, you know, the United States is very likely having militaristic conversations about how to be able to move forward. They, again, have to do so understanding that it will not just be, uh, you know, a Ukraine-Russia war, that this would ultimately become a West versus Russia war.
0: Reggie, do you get any idea about, let's, let's use your analogy there of the red line. Putin's drawn, well, I guess a couple of them now, uh, you know, any NATO involvement, uh, you know, any, you know, there's no flies on There have been a couple of things, you know, if you do this, uh, we will retaliate and that will be World War III. Has has NATO, and, and more specifically the U.S., have they drawn a red line? Is there anything that could that Putin could do that would say, okay, that's that's what too far. We're going in. Uh, I mean, you know, there's been talk of, about chemical weapons, not, not that they've been used so far, but that they've been distributed. And, and, you know, they're at the ready, these sorts of things. He's broken a number of international laws already by some of the actions that he's taken. And, and NATO has simply said, you know, we, we're not going to get involved. It, it, is there anything at all
3: that can push them over that line? I mean, look, it's hard. Vladimir Putin is not the kind of leader uh, that is known for showing any kind of restraint, and this is not the first time that Vladimir Putin has been criticized. Uh, for going too far. Look in Ukraine itself for what happened uh, with the annexation of Crimea, which obviously yeah. violated international law. And that still wasn't enough to have NATO try uh, and, and do something outside uh, of uh, you know, sanctions that are imposed by uh, the countries that are inside NATO or inside the G7 or inside the European Union. Look, it, you know, it, would the use of a nuclear warhead constitute some kind of response from the West? It is possible. But again, that fear of escalation really does hold NATO back they're there to protect themselves the eastern interests in ukraine but rather in europe but it really it really is an open question here that's been asked repeatedly including by the ukrainian government as to what ultimately russia would need to do for the west to get involved because the west has already said they're not going to step inside ukraine does that, uh, you know, provide an avenue for Vladimir Putin to continue to walk down to carry out any kind of atrocity he feels is necessary to, you know, quote unquote, liberate Ukraine? Uh, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a line that nobody in the West wants to see crossed because there is a fear here that once that line is crossed, it will simply just be reared on in the sand a little ways up.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of Brussels over the next couple of days, and we'll look forward to you reporting on that. I want to pivot, if I could, just a second. Uh, One of the other big stories in Washington today is the confirmation hearings uh, for President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court, the first black woman to ever be nominated. Uh, The Democrats hold the slimmest of margins in, in both houses right now. Some are suggesting rather optimistically that this can be done before the Easter break. Is that realistic?
3: I mean, look, it is possible Republicans uh, set themselves uh, up for uh, being in a position of trying to rush through uh, a Supreme Court nominee as quickly as they can. This happened a number of times. Under okay. former President Donald Trump, uh, whereas uh, you know Democrats are now saying, "Look, it's our time. This is our this is our nominee that we are putting forward via uh, President Biden." The, the the nominations just starting up today, and they do want to get this done on a fast track. They do have to be cautious of the fact that they do not, you know, as you mentioned, they only have the slimmest of majorities here to be able to to pass this. But we've heard some members of the Republican Party say that they are not fully against. Uh, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's uh, background, her past, her abilities to move forward. So Democrats are relying on some form of potential, um, you know, camaraderie here, politically at least, to get this through quickly. Uh, And and Republicans will do what they can to try and jam it up. Democrats are just going to say, look, the record speaks for itself.
0: In a related issue, uh, and it may be nothing, but as you know, Supreme Court Justice Curtis Thomas is in hospital right now. Uh, They said he had some sort of an infection. He's uh, on antibiotics uh that's about as clear as they want to be with his medical condition at the stage right now he is a very right-wing republican of course on the supreme court i, I know that uh you know th- they say there's not supposed to be any political distinction but you know a, a conservative is a conservative and a liberal is a liberal would thomas's ill health be any sort of a factor in republicans saying maybe we better put the brakes on this nominee uh just in
3: case I mean, look, it's, it's possible. Um, you know, what we've heard from the Supreme Court, especially from the statement that they put out about Justice Thomas and that it's flu-like symptoms and that, uh, you know, he should be back to work in a couple of days. Also worth pointing out here that all justices on the court are, uh, vaccinated and boosted, uh, boosted against COVID-19. So, you know, it's, it remains unclear as to what these flu-like symptoms actually are. Uh, but, you know, anytime there is an opening on the highest bench, uh, at the court system in the United States, uh, the focus is on that one uh, justice, that one uh, vacancy, whether it's open or looming, uh, and they don't tend to veer uh, any further out. You know, we saw Democrats really double down on their attempts to try and block the, the nomination for uh, Neil Gorsuch, We, you know, understanding that there could be another seat that opens up down the road. We saw the same thing with Brett Kavanaugh. We saw the same pushback uh, with Amy Coney Barrett. But they really do just focus on, on the opening that's right now. So Republicans will say, look, there's an opening. We, we need to do what we can to voice our potential concern or dissent against uh, the president's nomination, understanding that if another vacancy opens up, they will just have to redouble down on that fight all over again.
0: Uh, Very quickly, there's one other issue I wanted uh, to get your opinion on. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is heading down to Washington, if he's not there already. Uh, Apparently, this is a trade mission. Uh, Vic Fideli, the trade minister, economic development minister is down there, and I guess a few other folks uh, from the cabinet. I know they're going to talk about the auto industry and the fact that Biden's Buy America and Build America policy is is a huge problem here in Ontario. You've also got a number of uh, folks in Congress, Reggie, that you reported on a few weeks ago Uh, that started to question Canada's relationship with the United States vis-a-vis trade because of the blockages at the border, uh, specifically the Ambassador Bridge. He's not going to get a warm welcome. There's a lot of folks I think have some pretty serious questions of the Premier here.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And one of those uh, members of Congress is a Michigan representative, Alyssa Slotkin, who, who really was putting it out there publicly on her Twitter page to say that uh, American manufacturing needs to not take place in any other country, uh, you know, whether or not they are an adversary or an ally, in her, in her words, and it needs to take place uh, in the United States. Uh, and, you know, Doug Ford, uh, you know, Premier Ford is in Washington right now at a time where Canada really can't afford to allow uh, the perception that, It is an undependable Ally, given the fact that we saw the border close down uh, with the protest, given the fact that we saw production, especially in the auto industry, really take a hit. Uh, you know, on both sides, where there was just a significant uh, loss to bottom lines and an ability to get products created. So, you know, there is uh, an opportunity here for Doug Ford to try to come to the to, to the U.S. and say, "Well, look, Ontario has been dependable. Canada has always been dependable. Sometimes there's going to be a hiccup, uh, but at the end of the day, this strong push that we're seeing." from not just Joe Biden, this was also something under Donald Trump as well, this kind of America-first policy to bring uh, manufacturing back into the country. Uh, This is something that that the United States is really going to try to stand down on to say, look, this is our policy, and Doug Ford has a task in front of him to say, please don't forget us.
0: Well, it's going to be a rough road, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, I look forward to you reporting on that as well as we do all these issues going on in the uh, U.S. Capitol. Reggie, thanks so much for the time. Great talking with you again today. Thank you. Take care. Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. Of course, you can see his reporting on uh, Global National at 6.30 Monday to Friday Uh, and on weekends. Reggie works, I I think, about an eight-day week. Uh, Listen to the number of stuff. But there's a lot going on in uh, Washington these days. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.